When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey everybody, it's your girl Jessie Mae. This is the Sharp Tongue Podcast. Thank you for listening. Tell your friend. Tell your friend to listen to the podcast. Why not? Are they going through hardships? Do they need a good laugh? Do they need a new best friend? I'm all three, motherfuckers. I'm your girl. I'm one-stop shop here. Thank you so much for listening, honestly. And if you enjoy it and you haven't left a review, go over to iTunes and leave a review. Oh, by the way, we're on Spotify as well. You can find the podcast on Spotify. The videos are, of course, now available in their full form on my YouTube page, youtube.com forward slash Jessie Mae Peluso. You heard my nephew. You heard me putting my, my nephew to, to work as a child, child labor on the podcast. He told you, you got to go check out the YouTube page. You got to, uh, what did he say? Describe to my podcast. <laughs> So you can see my videos and then he told you to go to blippy.com. <laughs> I did not tell him to say any of that. He is so funny. I'm sure he'll be back on. He actually did his own podcast, which is available on my Patreon fan club page, patreon.com forward slash Jesse Mapeluso for exclusive podcasts and videos. Elliot has his own little podcast on that. So go check that out. And as always, if you want to submit to Dr. Peluso. You can do that on my Instagram page. Full disclaimer, I am not a real doctor. Okay. So don't go trying to act like I'm acting like I am. I tell you, I am board uncertified. And if you don't know what Dr. Peluso is, it's a segment I do on my social media where I give free life advice ranging from buttholes to marriages and everywhere in between. Get it? And I give you my unsolicited professional life advice on how you should fix your problem. Or if you're you're just up Shit's Creek, literally, like in the in the show. So go to Instagram Monday through Tuesdays, and you go to my Instagram story, and you can either have your question answered there, or if I don't get to it, I answer some of them on the podcast, and I do special Dr. Peluso episodes, which you already know because you're listening to this jam right now, and you're a fan, so you know the jam. You know the jam if you're a fan. Check it out, Dr. Peluso, and also new BAM episodes are coming out on YouTube. That's bong and movie. That's where I get super stoned. And it's basically like a movie interruption show on YouTube. A new episode will be coming out this Friday. So look for that. It's going to feature my favorite all time movie, The Thing. John Carpenter's The Thing. But getting stoned and watching movies are my favorite pastime. And I haven't gotten around to a lot of that because I've been going through this huge grief, which is just has weighted me down. It's like a weighted blanket, except instead of it feeling like a blanket, it just feels like grief. (laughs) I highly 
recommend it for anybody who wants to get fucking humbled by life. Have somebody you love die and then try and do work. I, I have given myself breaks and have allowed myself to have the space I need to cry in a fetal position in closets, which I do often. And I recommend that. That's a really good grief release. But yes, all sorts of fun things. Go to the YouTube page. New BAM episode is coming out. I have a new show coming out on YouTube. I have a new show coming out on Netflix and all sorts of fun things. And speaking of fun things, this episode is a fun thing featuring one of my favorite comedians and people in general who whenever I see her, she just is so joyful and funny and herself. And I just love her so much. I, I, pr- I sing her praises. She's hilarious. And we talk a little bit about grief as well and the fortune that grief can provide and how grief can make you feel fortunate. And if you haven't figured it out, this episode features my very good friend, comedian, actor, and soon-to-be author, Miss Fortune Feemster. Sharp Tongue Podcast. Beep, 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 beep. You're listening to the Sharp Tongue Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse May Jessie Peluso. Peluso. It's a personal look. Well, it's not really a look because it's a podcast. I'm already fucking this up. This is kind of like a verbal comedy diary, a deep look into the crevices of my mind. It's going to get dirty. You might cry. You'll probably laugh. Hopefully you'll laugh. The whole point is for you to laugh, but you also might cry. I talk about my family. I talk about farts. farts. I talk about love, loss, comedy, how hard it is to make it in this biz. I'm a fucking professional. Each week it's something different. Sometimes I have a guest host. Sometimes it's going to be a movie companion episode. Sometimes I just ramble about the bullshit I dealt with the week before. You never know what you're going to get. It's raw, uncut, and funny. It's me. Hey, everybody. I'm very, very, very excited for our guest this week. Her and I have known each other for years. She's one of the more real people that I know in this industry. Um, she, Her stand-up is my favorite because it's, it's basically her view on the world and her narrative. You know when people kind of like, there's lanes for comedy, like where people do, you know, impressions or like that straight-laced... Seinfeld style of telling jokes. I've always been uh, drawn to her comedy because it is a narrative and is very real. And she's just so, so funny from her ice cream videos to her role on the Mindy project. I feel like she has a book in her. I don't know if she's started one, but she should just because her voice is so unique and, um, funny and she's a a dear friend of mine and I don't see her enough so please give it up for the one the only Joan Rivers just kidding fortune (laughs) teams what's up buddy the dogs start barking (laughs) who let the dogs out Uh, I haven't written a book but I do want to I feel like you've got one in you, Fortune. I've dabbled in like writing outlines for for them, but it never seems to be the right time. Whenever we talk to editors, they're like, not the right time. We're like, okay. <laughs> to me, it's like, you know, not the right time doesn't, it doesn't pertain to us anymore because yeah. past year, it's like, no, now is the time. Right. And yeah. Like, it's a lot of work though, from what I've heard from my friends that have done them. 
I know, like all of our friends, everyone around us. <laughs> I think you just have to really, really want to write a book because I don't know that the payoffs is the, quite the same as it used to be. I think you're right. You know, it's, it's definitely not. Do people read still? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I enjoy it. <clears throat> as long as you read it, that's all I need. Do, do the crosswords count? I read those. Uh, that's what, yeah, those involve words. I, I'm a pretty avid reader. My re reaver. I'm a really avid I'm good at reading uh, books. I and pamphlets. Yeah. Hold on. What is going on? Dogs. Bunny. <laughs> my dogs do that. Oh, the little ones. Sorry, they guys. Do it, they do it every time the mailman comes. And let me tell you, the mailman comes here often because my sister and I have been doing what I've referred to as grief shopping. Mm, we just yeah. got from Marshalls and you, I, I'll let you guess collectively what my sister and I spent an hour in Marshalls today. What you spent buying? Cum cumulative, my sister and I, an hour Marshalls. What do you think kind of damage her and I did together? How much money? Yeah. What did we spend? $550. Wow. You're actually like almost on the nose. What was it? Were you there? <laughs> yes. I'm always with you. It was like $575. <laughs> I don't know what I got. I don't know what I got. <laughs> I only guess that because you said collectively, the two of you. So I was kind of deducing around... 250 275 each do you have a store like that was my mom and i's store that was, was coming to town we drink some wine and go on a sunday which is basically like walking into a forest with hungry wolves <laughs> <laughs> looking for the deals yeah. <laughs> i'm not I, I i don't shy away from marshall's myself there's all there's usually in, in la there's always a marshall's and a tj maxx and a Nordstrom rack. Like they're usually like all beside each other in the little strip mall yeah, kind of things. So Jax, Jax and I, my wife, we will uh we will start with like Marshall's, then TJ Maxx. Well, no, we start with Nordstrom Rack and then work our way down. I've never done a Nordstrom Rack situation, but I actually like it for clothes for, personally. Because they ha they get a lot of brands, and uh, they it's get a fuck right. What's that? It's cheap as fuck. Yeah. Well, yeah. Every because it's like nice stuff. You can get like Theory and Vince, which are I don't know most people are, but it's they're like a male male like high end male. Um, I'm not male, but I sometimes like a nice button down. I buy. Um, this is my secret for Marshalls. I don't know if you have a Nordstrom's like insiders secret, but my secret for Marshalls is you buy the male sweatpants for chicks. They fit the best. Oh, nice. There yeah. you go. Uh, well, the, the Nordstrom's rack, the Nordstrom's rack, uh, has all these high end brands, but they've been marked down a ton for whatever reason. And I'm never on trend. So I don't mind wearing like last seasons, whatever. I don't even know what I'm wearing right now. I feel like I'm wearing something that's like from Buckle. Do you know that store Buckle? 
<laughs> no, I literally have a hoodie on. I'm wearing a hoodie right now. What's I'm, gar I'm a garbage person. I'm dressed like the girl in the second act of a Hallmark, Hallmark holiday movie where she came in from Manhattan to the farm that her father left her, but now <laughs> she's like getting used to it and like, I might live here. <laughs> Lance is back, her ex-boyfriend from high school. That's you right now. <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel like I look right now in my leopard shawl. <laughs> oh, I miss the quieter life. Oh, yeah. You know, wow, there's grass here. I'm just here to visit my family, but... <gasps> I fell in love and didn't expect it. No. I didn't Lance is going to be back. I never <laughs> could get over that high school moment where I blew him under the bleachers and he left me for Swanson. Yeah. Swanson. They got married and now they're divorced. Mm -hmm. Second chance at love. Yep. I mean, we all need that. You know, yeah. I, I started um, recording this podcast for Spotify and it has to do with love. And mm -hmm. one of the girls I'm interviewing tomorrow is a... She called herself, let me check my, my show notes. Check she those called notes. herself, and excuse my naiveness in this whole world, but she called herself a non-binary female. What does that mean? Um, I mean, I'm, you know, but. I, I'm so bad with, um, I, I'm like, I feel like I'm 80 years old when people ask me because I'm always like, okay, I think like it means, I think it's a, like not gender neutral. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. It's very interesting. Like, what as as a as a, a gay woman, what is one of the most annoying things you've come across, either in the industry or like when you do morning radio or any sort of like platform where people have to ask you questions? What's one of the most common things that you're asked that is so annoying? Um, I I. As a gay woman or as a this question? That was <laughs> this one. I could know because I was gonna say as a comic, uh, you'll know that they all ask you to like tell them a joke. And right. That's like the worst thing to ask a comic. The worst. Because I'm like, I don't just like tell like most comics nowadays aren't like one liner comics. No. Whereas you know, back in the like if you said to Argus Hamilton right now, tell me a joke, he'd have like an 10 awesome jokes for you. 10 tight jokes. If you guys don't know who Argus is, he is, was a comedy store staple. He's just been around forever. Yeah. He's but he, really he's the guy it. that has a lot of setup punchlines, setup punchlines. I don't, I don't tell jokes like that. So if anyone says to me, tell me a joke, you're SOL. I have nothing to tell you. I don't do that either. Like it's, it's, it feels, you know, just let me be me. Like, let me do my thing. Let me just yeah. have a conversation with you. I, but as a gay comic, I'm trying to think if people ask me anything in particular. Um, they're like a stereotype because you do a lot of acting and you do a lot of auditioning. Yeah. Are there stereotypes that you feel that you just get put into because of that? Or like, you know, for me, I always get asked, what's the hardest thing about being a female in the industry? And there's so mm -hmm. many aspects to it specifically about being a female. So I just wonder like, take it a step further and being like they don't even ask because I'm on morning news and they're just like, let's not talk about that. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, the, the grandma can't handle this. <laughs> they, they just want to talk about ice cream dancing. They, they don't want to, they don't want to dig yeah. deep into any of that other stuff that okay. middle America might not like. I could think of a question that would be annoying. Okay. Or, like, did you always know? I guess. All right. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't. Everyone else knew. 
that was the problem. Were I you wish out as a child. Like, did you did you have like an out moment? No, I mean, I came out at 25. Whoa, which feels crazy now because. I mean, can you imagine meeting me at 24? I mean, it wasn't much different than me now. I won't say how old I am. No, you look like you could be 24. You've got amazing skin. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, but can you imagine meeting me at 24 and me being like, no, I'm straight. <laughs> yeah, I, but I, I, I'm open-minded. Like, okay, cool. I just imagine people looked at me like, sure you are. Okay. Because <laughs> I met a couple of those people where I was like, okay. You know, just, just give it time. Give it some time. Because you just kind of instinctually know about certain people, not everybody. Right. And uh, I feel like I, <laughs> I wear it very well. Um, so, no, growing up, I didn't know. I was, I grew up in a small town of about 6,000 people. What town? Uh, it's called Belmont. It's uh, right outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, it just wasn't very homosexual friendly <laughs> well now they they're they're my little town is very supportive uh and now, yeah but but back then there were no gay people that were out actually my uh kindergarten teacher was gay and i but um but, but married to a woman um that's very common in the south uh, and, and not out he was he was not out at the time. I we found out later in life he was gay. They eventually got divorced, and then he actually was able to live his life as an out man for a, for a bit. Uh, he's since passed, but um, but he like that was a very common thing back then. If you knew someone that you thought might be gay, uh, they oftentimes were married to someone of the opposite sex. Uh, so I didn't have any examples of out gay people. Um, and That's uh, so difficult growing up feeling how you feel and being how you are and not having anything to equate it to or to relate to. Like, is that, do you think that that is one of the reasons why you were, were you scared? Well, I, it's something I touched on. It was something I was trying to sort of get across in my special as to why I came out late. It just was like, you're special. not you're even special. talked about. It was not even talked about, you know? So it wasn't like I was out, it wasn't like I knew I was gay and I was hiding it. I legitimately just did not know. I knew that something was off. I knew that something was different about me, but I, I couldn't like, and so that, that, that came with a, a lot of angst um, because you just, I knew like, why am I being so intense about this friend? Like I, I can, I know this isn't normal, but I don't know why this isn't normal. Does that right. make sense? It makes total sense. And so I just kind of, um, just did my thing. I didn't really date much and maybe that's why I became a big overachiever. Cause that's how I got, um, validation. That's how oh. I got any sort of attention or recognition was by achieving. Cause I wasn't getting it via dating or attraction guys and I would meet I always love guys guys and I get along really well but we immediately have a like a high five scenario even back then that sounds like me and all my exes I have to be honest <laughs> you started every relationship started with a high five 
it's so hard. I'm so awkward. Like I always get friend zone. It's like, I want to suck your dick. What are you doing? You're wasting, you're wasting my time. I don't want to have five your hand. No, I think because it's like, I'm a cool chick. And so they're like, oh, she's just a cool chick. It's like, yeah, a cool chick who wants to suck your dick. Like, hmm. I, do, I don't, I also want to be, you know. I'd like to high five your wiener. Yeah. Did yeah. You, so did you date boys growing up? No, not really. I went on a couple dates. I didn't have like, um, I didn't have a boyfriend. I went to the prom and stuff, things like that. I, so I just kind of didn't date. And that's another thing that a lot of gay people deal with is a, a silent rejection. And that's why I think people um, have, you know, there are issues around being gay that you have to work through once you come out and to get comfortable with who you are and to, to work on your self-esteem because when you're young, you're getting rejected and you don't even know it. Sometimes oh. you, you don't even, you're being told no constantly by the other sex. Uh, not everyone. I have some gay friends who really got down uh, with some <laughs> people of the opposite sex, but most of us were like, you, you guys are never, we're never, are usually not interested in a lot of the lesbians or, whatever and so you just uh, you feel a constant sense of no um and that has to weigh on your self-esteem you know as you deal with that every year of your life as a young person it that that ha has a a thing where you just feel like you're not worthy of love you know and so you really have to work through that once you get older and do figure out who you are it has to be something that you know you work on alongside coming out and, you know, for you, knowing how I know you, and I get this a lot, but I know how we are very good at masking emotions and also finding time and space to deal with our own emotions. Mm -hmm. Are you someone who suffered with depression and has battled demons and, you know, emotions that are mm -hmm. undealt with from having to endure yeah. all of that rejection? I luckily am not someone who... I don't have like clinical depression. I'm very grateful. Uh, it's not something that has plagued me. It's plagued people in my family. Uh, a couple of people in my family have had to deal with it and have had to, you know, be on medication. Um, and that helps a lot. I luckily wake up glass half full pretty much every day. Uh, and, and I, I'm lucky that that is usually my, equilibrium like that my balance i start there yep um not to say i don't have hard times or i don't get sad i certainly do but my well like the beginning of the pandemic i was actually kind of in a funk i didn't really realize it at the time but i was in a bit of a funk for like that first like two months and how that um how that transpired was i wasn't being silly i wasn't making videos i wasn't putting out content i wasn't uh, laughing. I just was kind of here. I was just kind of quiet and just watching TV and stuff. That's how my I sadness one yeah. was the same way. I yeah. went check, check. <laughs> yeah. And I just kind of sit in it. Yeah. Um, and I don't, uh, but if I'm in a good place, I'm usually tr tr uh, emoting joy more. Um, and just, I have a silliness, a lightness about me. Uh, when I'm feeling good, but I mean, I've, it's coming, I've had it in spurts when I first started stand up touring, 
2000 my first headliner year was 2010 and uh i was depressed then it's the most like it's like the the great career dichotomy you're on the road and all of us have felt that way like when i'm on the road i reach out to everybody more than any time in my life because it's so depressing it's Mm -hmm. talk about that for people who think we're living this glamorous life and it is amazing our jobs are amazing but there is especially in the beginning when you're broke you're like finally touring but you're you're like give me a stage you're lucky to make you know maybe a thousand bucks for the weekend but that means you also have to fly yourself there and you had to rent a car and you had to get a hotel and you're going home with 200 bucks if you're like yes you're not making jack squat no one knew who i was i only had done last comic standing so like a handful of people at every gig knew who i was so they're making you you're working for it that much more for every laugh uh you, you there's a you know no one really respects you um and and you're you're staying in you know the cheapest hotels motels you're you're by yourself oh, you're eating God. by yourself i was very i think that was one of my most depressed times and i called and, and if you have anything going on in your personal life at home then you can't really deal with it and uh i called my mom like be like what have i done with my life <laughs> same i was um i graduated summa cum laude why am i doing this did you really yeah <laughs> I, it sounds like it's a like um it's the highest one baby for let me for come on me that's what it sounds like summa cum laude come on my laude yeah come on my lady i mean uh all of college i made all a's and i think two b's what did you study well, communication. <laughs> it wasn't science. <laughs> You're like, yes, I am. I am this way. But I still had to take all the mandatory classes. <laughs> um, but yeah, that one was a bummer time. And then uh, I, I, it took me a, a long time to find a love, also, and uh, that made me that bummed me out a lot, huh? what was your relationship like with your mom, like growing up? Was she accepting of, of who you were, who you are? And when you came out, did that change your relationship with her? My look at the light, the lights like shining through my window in my face. I'm so jealous of you. I'm in a basement and (laughs) there's children running everywhere. (laughs) Um, my mom, my relationship with my mom was a journey. Uh, I think mothers and daughters probably have the most complicated relationship. There's your first two sentences of your book, bitch. I know, right? Holy shit. See, now my dogs are going crazy. I thought those were my dogs. I was about to yell. <laughs> uh, we've, yeah, I think mothers and daughters butt heads a lot when you're young. And you just, your your mom knows how to push your button in a way that no one else in the world can push. They know. And it brings out the hate. <laughs> when you're a, a teen, you know, you're just like, oh, I hate yeah. you. All those emotions. Yes. And so we had a real up and down rocky thing for a while where we just couldn't, we just couldn't like, uh, I don't even know what the word is. We couldn't even connect or talk or like she was my mom i loved her 
I was her kid. She loved me, but we just were working on two different planes, you know. You talked, you have talked a lot about her, and you do talk a lot about her in your stand up and in mm-hmm. life. And you grew up in a very unique way. Do you want to elaborate on that a little? Well, so they, my parents, I, have a, I had an interesting childhood because my mom was born really rich. Her family lost all of her, all of their money through bad business decisions and her dad died unexpectedly, all these things. So she was always this like rich woman in this now in this poor woman's world. My dad never had money. He grew up in a trailer, nothing. They had nothing. He like hitchhiked to school. You're talking about wildly different backgrounds coming together. So I had a creek. (laughs) Yeah. So I had a, I had a wild childhood of my mom, like really trying to keep up with the Joneses as they call. And my dad was like, you know, NASCAR and chicken wings and (laughs) hanging out at the bar with his buddies. And so I always had these two weird worlds and they split when I was 12. And then my mom, you know, you now, now, now my mom and I are very close and yeah, I do talk about her a lot so I can look back at our journey. I think for my mom, she got divorced and, uh, it was, it's just, I can see it now that she had this huge rejection. Her husband, didn't want her anymore this you know this 23 years of marriage didn't work out so her focus then was like oh i gotta find love i don't know what true real love is so for the next however many years she was really focused on finding love again where i was like hello hi hi we need you (laughs) and so and she can look back at it she you know she looks back at it now being like oh i can't believe i made certain choices (laughs) (laughs) my brothers are older so i was kind of the one stuck to like like they gave me i had a roof over my head our bills were paid not always on time uh my grandmother lived down the street so i had people looking out for me and my mom was there for me in a lot of ways too but that was her main focus so uh that was our other issue was just trying to like get her to get her priorities situated and it you know going deeper into your mom which i know a little bit of history on it makes sense knowing what her illness became knowing what her her desire was because I think mm-hmm. that's a very common coupling people who have this type of illness, which I'll let you talk about um, missing some love. And it, it mm-hmm. all of us in life are searching for love. Yeah. And, you know, I go to a, a therapist, mm-hmm. Brett Costin, he's amazing in LA and He said something one day that really resonated with me when I was talking about stuff I was stressed about. And I was like, you know, I really hope this something comes through. It was a a gig or a job or something. And he goes, that right there is a toxic behavior. Hmm. It's it's somewhat toxic to put hope outside of yourself. Mm -hmm. Because all you need is already within you. You just need the tools to dig out some of the pain that's there to uncover the truth. And the truth is we all have the love we need within us. And yeah. it's very consistent with what your mom developed throughout the mm. years and what you grew up in. Yeah. She was looking to be validated from men. She wanted a boyfriend to validate her. 
and she wasn't you know seeing what she had um which was beautiful <laughs> hang on i've seen photos of you as a child <laughs> you i'm sure i was a turd too though um <laughs> all were are you kidding me developing emotions suck i mean my my t- my niece and nephew are fucking demons but i get it <laughs> But again, I might not have gone on the journey that I did. I don't know that I would have tried so hard at school. I don't know if I would have tried so hard to leave my hometown to make make more of myself had I been loved completely. I know (laughs) more loved completely. Girl, but (laughs) I got really lucky because you know, at one point, I thought, well, I mean, there was my grandmother was a big part of my life and once she died I thought well I kind of I did have this thought well I guess I'm an orphan now even though I had parents my sister yeah. and I said that every day since my mom passed away that's so funny yeah. and 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 I really at that time wasn't sure that we would ever get our relationship on track and then I long story short I moved away to Spain for a year right after college and it, it was a year of just me being like alone for almost an entire year. I didn't know hardly anyone and I was just lonely. And I, for the first time in my life, missed my family. I missed my parents and all that like anger and resentment that I had been building up. I, my mom drove with me to across when I got back from Spain, I had a job in LA. My mom moved with me, uh, drove with me across the country. That was the most time we had spent together in a long time. And uh, we always had this like role reversal where I was kind of the mom and she was kind of the kid. And I remember we stopped in Vegas and I, we were walking down the hall and I like, kind of like snapped at her in a way you do at a kid who's like, (laughs) you know, like misbehaved or something. And And the security guard lady was like, that's your mom. And I was like, yeah. yeah. And like, so it made me kind of just be like, you know what? I have to allow her to, I, I can't keep holding on to the past. I can't keep holding on to resentment. It's doing nothing for me. It doesn't make me feel good. I have to allow her to grow. If I keep holding her accountable to these things from the past, it will never have a relationship. No, that, that was the beginning of us really healing and, and, and we've been pretty, we've been really close ever since. Yeah. Let me shut this blind real quick. It feels like Icarus is in your front oh, no. yard. Icarus is in your front yard. Her light coming through. She literally is facing the sun setting in LA and it's so damn bright. I miss it though. Me being here on the East Coast, I'm jealous of her sunshine. Sorry. No, no, it's fine. I was telling everybody how how I'm jealous of your sunshine there in, in Los Angeles. <laughs> so I, so I'm grateful. So like it's, I, my mom doesn't, we don't delve into the past a lot anymore. Cause it's kind of like, yeah, it, it happened. Now we can laugh about it. I tell jokes a lot, but uh, I'm grateful that we were able to move past all that stuff. You know, there's something about um, forgiveness being so powerful it's like one of the most powerful Mm -hmm. things we can do for ourselves because to elaborate on what you're what you were talking about you're not forgiving her you're forgiving yourself you know it's you're you're 
you're letting things go that was that, you know, emotions and things that were done. Cause I've done the same thing with my mom mm-hmm. and you do that for you so that you can have a relationship with that individual, you know, mm-hmm. acceptance is so damn hard to, to uh, accept. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, that's the irony of it. It's, it's the hardest thing to accept. Um, yeah. So I think, being able to look past our parents' shortcomings because it's hard not to idolize them. You know, growing up, they're the first faces you see and mm-hmm. first touch it. Hopefully if you're, if you're fortunate enough, you get all those things. And, mm-hmm. and then when we get podcasts and we look back, we're like, Oh, they were just fucking people. Yeah. I mean, once you get older, you can see like, Oh man, they were, they were just doing the best they could. And you don't really get that when you're younger. You're just like, oh, these guys are real turds. Yeah. And you, and <laughs> there's such a point of contention and argument. It's like, no, they grew up in a certain environment, certain era where things are different. You know, is it going to be the same thing for us? Like, yeah. You know, if and when either of us have children, I'm sure there's going to be gripes with how we mm-hmm. have raised them or. Well, yeah. and your parents have traumas. I mean, I can look at both my, I can look at both my parents and be like, oh, you, this thing that happened to you, I can see how it's totally affected all these other things. And if you would able, if you had been able to just deal with that and talk that out, maybe this, that, and this wouldn't have happened, but you know, it was a different time. Therapy wasn't, you know, it was kind of frowned upon for a long time. Yeah. And it was just like kind of sucked it up, you know? Off. Women were allowed to talk at all. Men weren't allowed to say anything emotional. I wonder, yeah. like, because we have such a hindsight vantage point to look mm-hmm. back and equate their emotional shortcomings to their environment and what was going on in society that they were so shut off and how how that affected everything. You know, their children yeah. not being able to communicate and what that sort of snowballs into. I wonder if there's going to be some sort of repercussion or uh occurrence from being too open right (laughs) yeah no we don't hold anything back with all the social media we're all like sharing every thought that comes to our mind we're like maybe we don't have to do that the president's crying (laughs) but we can't do it or she she but the thing i realized with a lot of it and again i'm you know i I'm not saying I have it all figured out. My mom and I certainly have our moments where I act like, you know, where I'm all like, you did this, you know, I haven't, but for the most part, I let it all go. I just, there's a, people find a real comfortability in being the victim. And I didn't want that for myself. I didn't, I didn't, I don't think that being a victim uh, serves you in any way, even if you are genuinely a victim you know, to, to, but to be at the mercy of whatever your traumas were, Oh, don't let it have that too. You know what I mean? I, I, that is the motto I have lived my life under. And it like, you don't think living your life as a victim serves you in any way. Even if you were actually a victim is such a powerful mm-hmm. statement because it takes, it takes a certain level of bravery to, to live like that. But, the opposite is so much worse, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to like live your life as someone who survived something as opposed to have it be your crutch is such a better 
fucking existence. And in comedy, it comes up a lot. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, because like I said before, one of the things I love about your comedy is it's, there's a a levity to it. It's, I I know when you're on stage, I'm, I'm learning something about you and Mm -hmm. who you really are. And I, that's a comedy I gravitate towards. Um, and I, I, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh my God, we're finishing each other's sentences. (laughs) No, I was just saying, I think as a comedian, you know, I talk a lot about my past and one of my first sexual experiences, everybody's heard this on the podcast. I was raped the first time I ever had sex. And so oh, I talked man. about hope in my comedy and I did this one set and these two girls came up to me after the show and they were so mad. They were so mad about it. And how could I talk about that? And it's not right for, you know, it's, it's bad for women to talk oh, about that. That's your journey. Yeah. It's, you it's, it's do whatever like, you want. <laughs> and I asked them after they were, I let them talk mm-hmm. and I heard them out and I was like, okay, can I ask you one question to both of you? I have one question for you both. Were you raped? Both of them were. Um, and I said a very harsh statement that was said to me. Yeah. Your trauma and your trauma's healing is your responsibility. Mm-hmm. And it's a harsh thing to hear, but like you said, you have to find a way to overcome it. And you've overcome mm-hmm. a lot of fucking hardships in your life. And, you know, for someone like you, it's interesting because I asked you earlier about like depression and how you feel about it, how it's not something that's necessarily a huge personality flaw or factor in, in who you are. I feel the same way. And I think because we've been through so much shit, we've been humbled by life. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, any friend that I, when, especially when I moved to LA and I had friends that never really been through hardships, you go, buckle up. Cause oh, God. it's like, what do you it, have to offer? It, it, well, it's going to happen. There's I don't know if, you know, a person in the world that hasn't escaped some sort of hardship trauma, it's coming at some point. It's fucking coming. <laughs> and you just have to be able to deal with it and then what sure enough when those hardships in whatever way they came hit those people it was like a tsunami they were like oh my god what do i do and i it made me for the first time really grateful that i had overcome things growing up to sort of have that tool because even you know you're gonna things are gonna be hard they're gonna suck but it's how you deal with it and it's i just try to come from it of like how does it motivate you instead of how instead of how does it bring you down so what would you say in your life the three most painful occurrences that whether they motivated you or not what are those those like it doesn't have to be three but like the most defining things in your life that changed you uh well as what motivated me originally was not having money Uh, I mean, again, I can't like, you know, when I say not having money, I can't know what it's like to live on the street or to be in another country of extreme poverty. So I'm not comparing myself to those situations. But for us personally, my mom was a single mom and a teacher. And it was basically the three of, you know, my mom and us three kids on the teacher's salary. um, And that which is not much. It's nothing. 
And so, you know, it was very common for the us to be sitting in the house and the lights go out and you go, oh, I guess the bill, the bill <laughs> hasn't been paid, you know. Like and, same bill you guys think Bill's some person. <laughs> like this guy sucks. <laughs> oh, bill really needs to pay. Yeah, where's the bill? Every time he shuts up. My mom, to her credit, got, you know, she would get summer jobs like at Quincy's, which was a, it's basically like a sizzler. And, oh, you I know, know Quincy's girl. Yeah. And it, you know, it's very home. You know, she had a master's degree. It's very humbling experience for this woman. Again, coming from the background that she came up from in, suddenly she's waiting on her friends who like won't, they wouldn't even acknowledge her. They were like, embarrassed for her or something which is so ridiculous that they wouldn't even acknowledge her i'm like how how shitty must she have felt so i try to give her credit you know because she had to deal with some real stuff too i mean she's like making two dollars an hour selling big fat yeast rolls uh and people people she was lucky if people tipped a dollar back then i mean people were real assholes (laughs) Um, so we just didn't have, we just, we learned to get by or whatever, but it did set in motion this thing with me of like, I'll never, you know, we, I mean, I just remember us as a family just been, being like trying to figure out like, how are we going to keep price in college? How are we gonna, you know, pay for my grandmother's funeral? Like these things that you just dealt with as a family. So it motivated me to be like, I'm never going to be in that situation where I don't know how I'm going to pay for something. I'm going to work my ass off and do whatever I can to, so that the lights don't get shut off. So that was a big motivating factor for me. That's a powerful motivator. And for a lot of people, I think, you know, um, I was listening to Charlize Theron talk about turning pain into purpose on NPR. I'm a nerd. Mm -hmm. Sorry. (laughs) That's good. Uh, <laughs> talk about that, you know, because she grew up in a very yeah some trauma. Yeah, a lot of trauma, and you know they had slaves in their house, and oh had, really? I didn't know yeah, that. They mm-hmm. had you know runaway slaves and all sorts of you know dealing with like the apartheid and growing yeah. up in the environment. But she spoke a lot about turning pain into purpose. And mm-hmm. do you think because you and I are two white females, it's easy for us to say this? What do you mean? Say what? Like that we could just, you know, don't be a victim and turn your pain into purpose. Like, is it I mean, something I, anyone I, can do? I don't, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing is I've never walked in anyone else's shoes. So I can, I can only speak from my journey. I, I don't know what it, I don't know what it would be like to be in a situation where y- your chips are down and then you also have this system, s- systematic, systemic, situation on top of that i find that that would be a very difficult thing to overcome and it people do but it would not be easy i i i had some advantage you know i had did have advantages even though i didn't have money i still had opportunity i worked hard but opportunities did come i don't not everyone's lucky to get opportunities what advantages do you think you had um I mean, I a lot about this, like, mm-hmm. and I do, I know there are things that are existent in, in culture and in society where there are systemic issues. 
but I'm looking at your story and my story and I, I feel you and I individually had more disadvantages than advantages, but that's why I'm genuinely curious as to maybe I'm blind to my advantages and I'm not seeing them. Uh, I, I mean, you know, the simplest of advantages that you can drive in your car down the road and not worry that if a cop pulls you over, you're going to be killed. You know, look, I mean, smelled my car fortune. It is, <laughs> it's like dead dog and weed. I'm just, I mean, I, I, you know, even though I was poor, I did have a roof over my head. I had a mom with a master's degree who, you know, could ha have a teaching job that could, you know, provide to a certain extent. And, uh, I mean, I can't, I can't say like, it's so hard for me to, to say what advantage I had versus what other people didn't have. Cause it's, I've only lived in this skin. Yep. And so I think it would be an easier thing for me to, to see if I, if I came from a place of complete disadvantage, yep. it would be easier for me to be like, well, here's what I didn't have. And, and so I'm still learning about the, you know, the privileges that come with the color of your skin. I don't really know. And I'm not an expert at it. Um, it's hard. You know, it's, it's one of those things where people have to have compassion and understand that mm -hmm. when you live your life a certain way and you don't know, yeah, it takes some time to look back and be like, Oh, okay. I can see where. And I've had to have friends, you know, teach me be like, you know, here's what you're not seeing. And I'm like, Oh yeah. I, you know, I, I just, unless I've walked a mile in someone's shoes, it's so hard for me to know, you know, it is. But I just try to like, you know, live my life in a way that is, uh, I work hard. I just try, I don't, um, I just want, I want to keep the lights on, you know, I'm just yeah. like, uh, individual like you, yeah. I've always, I, I look at my, people that I've kept in touch with as much as I have kept in touch with people during these mm -hmm. past few years. And I think the common denominator is a, a genuine positive, but grounded approach to life. And mm -hmm. the other thing that I know about you is you also aren't a people pleaser and you know, your worth and, um, you treat people very fairly and kindly. And it's, I know it sounds like, again, when you're in it, you don't realize it. It sounds like those should just be fucking things right. from people. <laughs> but our well, industry, like most industries, <clears throat> filled with a bunch of fucking broken assholes. Yeah. I mean, I, that comes from another influential person, which I, touched on earlier was my grandmother she was a very influential thing and a uh, person in my life and she was kind to everybody and she was beloved by everybody she spent her days because you know by the time I was little she was w well into retirement so she would like cut flowers from her garden and take it to the people the bank tellers and oh. the secretaries at school she would bake things for like the librarians in town and she was just always giving. She was very, she had a light around her. So I, I spent a lot of time with her. I was kind of like her shadow <laughs> growing up. And I just watched this person. 
I, I watched her be so kind to everyone. And I saw the look on the people's faces when they received that kindness. And so that had a big influence on me because I was like, I want to make people feel like she feels like she makes people feel. And so I think that I, how I treat people is very much based on that. And I know she died when I was 18, which is another big influential thing. And I know if I, I, not to say I can't be an asshole. <laughs> I certainly, I'm very, kind, I'm very kind until, you know, you, your dog starts. There's barking. reason not to be kind. You're blind, but I bet you have one less dog. <laughs> there's like an uncovered earth mound in your backyard. No, but I would be so embarrassed if she saw me behave poorly. You know what I mean? She's dead, but you know, no, she could be, she could be with me. Please watch. Have you seen? Have you seen signs of her? Nothing, I mean, nothing blatant. I just feel very, um, like I've never, like she's not, I've, I've not had experiences with, um, paranormal stuff. My, actually my grandmother and my mom have, um, had those experiences. So I've never been visited by a ghost or anything. Have um, you done psychedelics? No, no, I'm such a nerd. I'm a nerd. I don't do any of that stuff. I'm like, I drink coffee. (laughs) I'll send you a bag of your grandma show up. Show up for sure. Like, hello, I've been waiting on you. Um, but I feel her, I feel her around me. Uh, but her presence is always uh, like I'm named Fortune. It's my middle name, but I'm named that because of her. She wanted that to be my name. It was her mother's last name. Like she just was such a presence for me that everything I do was to be like, I want to make this woman proud. And so when you were 18, I mean, I think about emotions I had at 18. How do you, what's the first thing you did when you found out and how, how did you find out? And what was the first thing you did when she passed away? So she was, um, she got cancer. She was 86, I want to say. Uh, so she was older. Um, it was my senior of high school. They basically, she had a spot on the side of her face, skin cancer. And uh, it, what's the word? Metastasized. You know what I mean. Matt, Matt. Matt, 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 so the doctor, she went to the doctor and uh, my, I didn't go, I don't think I could have handled it. My mom went, was with her and the doctor like got on her knees and uh, just said, basically told my grandmother she had a year to live, which I, as a doc, I think about as a doctor, how hard that's got to be. Like looking someone in the eye and be like, this is it, pal. Um, and so she came, they came home. And uh, my mom told me, and uh, it was like devastating. I was just like, oh my God. So I just went out to my grandma was sitting in the car and we just stared at each other. We didn't even speak. We just stared at each other for like, I want to say like 15 minutes. And then we just kind of like, okay. We never talked about it at that point. We never said like, this is it, you know? Um, And so, uh, a year went by and I graduated from high school and then um, 
you kind of just hope that like that doctor was wrong <laughs> <laughs> that it was a shitty doctor because she was too old to get radiation um ke- chemotherapy it would have get like her it just would have annihilated her annihilated her yeah she treatment would have killed her she was very skinny and frail anyway because she was older and so she was just basically riding it out which is crazy and so at the end uh after i graduated she had a doctor's appointment they were like she actually has two weeks to a month i'm like god dang it that doctor was right <laughs> and uh, so uh it was so then it ended up becoming a so the so what started as a little spot on her face um it went inside it went into her brain and it went around her spinal cord we didn't know this at the time we just knew it it had uh, this is probably pretty graphic kind of eaten the side of her face so she had a big bandage here and you're like i can't believe that this is the thing that's killing my grandmother yeah this like little non-script thing that on a microscopic level is doing detriment to herself so 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 uh i remember the it's kind of a long story i'll try to condense it so at the beginning of the summer she basically said to my mom like we're gonna see my first name's emily she called me they call me emily we're gonna see emily off to college and that was so this was may and that was sister's name really yes (laughs) and so mid-august was college like august 13th and uh my mom internally was like there's no there's no way that's three months away that's not but she didn't want to say that to her so she goes yep we will anyway so the summer went on my grandmother kept losing weight kept becoming very frail there would be times where we were like this is it we had a hospice nurse they would like tell us she's very spiritual she'd be like you need got you guys need to tell her it's okay to die because you know when you're 18 and you're like this is my most important person in my life ears being like hey it's i'm okay you can die and i was like sobbing you know i had to tell her by twice because bitch would be laid out and then you tell her it's okay to die pour my heart out i'm my heart is like being run over by a you know (laughs) car and the next day she'd be like what's up guys (laughs) and you're like what (laughs) It was such a journey. It was the hardest summer of my life. But uh, there was some really sweet moments too. My dad picked her up because she got to like 89 pounds. My dad picked her up and walked around the, her house to look at. She had like treasures and stuff that she really loved. And we had someone come sing her songs. There's like really beautiful things that happened. She was then, at home. She was at home. We kept her at home. Yeah. And they had a hospital bed for anyway, long story short. Um, it was time for me to go to college august 12th she had made it she was uh very she was kind of unconscious i wasn't sure if she could hear me but the more i i woke up to go to college uh to drive to school and i went and said bye to her and i don't know if if she could hear me or what and I, i basically knew that that was the last time i would see her and uh the next morning at 10 a.m. I felt her die. She died. So she Wait, held when on. Die. I felt it. I'm a cancer. I feel very I'm like an empath. I feel energy. And I think her energy was such a part of me that I just felt 
it go. And uh, I called I called her house, and my dad answered, and he went, uh, uh, can 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 we call you back? Because she like literally had just died, and he didn't know what to say to me. So he called me back, but she's been like, I'm sorry, I didn't know what to say to you. Like your grandmother just died. I got you know I I knew that she, you know uh, that she had. So anyway. We found out from a cancer doctor who knew was a good friend with my mom that they all these uh, prominent cancer doctors had studied her case and they they saw how this cancer had at the time like I said we didn't know it had surrounded her brain surrounded her spinal cord they said this woman would have been in so much pain and she didn't say ouch one time in 3 months they said there's no reason she should have lived past two weeks. And my mom's friend said, well, she said she was going to see her granddaughter off to college. And they go, sometimes there are things that science can't explain. And that's what she did. She willed herself to live for three months in agony just to see me off to college. So, you take and that to carry that for the rest of <laughs> buddy. It changed my life. I know. I go, I can't be a piece of shit because this person did something for me that no person will do in my like that is something that not many people would do. And how can you not then make something of your life? from the, that day forward. I mean, it changed me. I think that's, you know, the, you just said that's something that not many people in your life would do for you. And that's one of the things I feel like we take for granted is the sacrifices people make for us. And, mm -hmm. you know, she, she stood by her word for you. And that's a testament to how tight you guys were and how much you meant to her. And, you know, she knew how important it was for you. And the fact that you were able to turn that into motivation to be. That's why I go by fortune. I started going by fortune when I was 23 because I was like, she wanted me to be named fortune. My mom chose Emily cause that was her favorite name. <laughs> and I thought, Whatever I do from here on out, when anyone calls me Fortune, when I get if if I make anything of myself with this name Fortune, it's because of her. And any any acknowledgement for Fortune is acknowledgement for her, in my opinion. Well, so. you made me cry, so I hope you fucking I don't talk about that story. I don't talk about it much because I was able to hold it together today. But it, <laughs> I think I made you cry. <laughs> but it is a, it's a, it's a it's a story that makes me happy and makes me sad. You know. Or I think somewhere in that is, you know, there's truth in that shit, and people listening to this have all gone through some sort of loss and. You know, I'd love your opinion on, you know, maybe just a few things for people to consider or tools they can use and how to cope with grief or loss. 
like for me, you know, I meditate every morning, I work out every day and I start my day with some sort of gratitude to me. Okay. Those things that have helped me through these past few months and the magnitude of the emotion of yeah. the loss. So we're in the thick of it. I'm, I still am. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I don't want to say how old I am, but it's been a long time. <laughs> Not that, you know, it's one of those things. I mean, when I was in the, I mean, I went, I did so many things to deal with the grief at 18, you know, uh, saying it's so hard at that age. You're, you're dealing with new emotions still and a brand new college. I was like, uh, it was, it was a lot. So I had to try on a lot of different hats to, uh, to deal with the grief. Luckily I didn't like, because of her sacrifice, I didn't, if she hadn't done what she did, I probably would have been a big piece of shit. <laughs> um, who knows? I would have just been a big loser. And I, I don't know what, I, I don't know what my life would have looked like it, but that changed the course of it. Um, but uh, to deal with it, I don't even know what I did. I mean, time has obviously helped me and I'll be totally fine. You know, there are many days I don't think about it. It used to sit with me all the time. She was at the forefront of my day for a long, long time where there's not a day went by. I didn't think about it. That dissipates over time. You just start to live your life. It becomes the norm. Unfortunately, I've lived more life without her now than I did with her, which seems crazy. Um, but I'll be totally fine. And then suddenly like there's a documentary on cancer and I'm like in a fetal position on the floor. <laughs> I'm like, I'm fine. Ah! <laughs> like, I just don't know when it's going to hit me, you know, but it, it, it is on its own timeline. I will say that you cannot choose when you, when the grief grief will hit you when you're out of the thick of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, you can't probably you have that with your you know, dad sometimes. Yes, it's still, you know, it's, there's no handle on it. You know, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, it's, it's like being in the ocean. That's what yeah. it feels like. It's like an emotional, it's an emotion. It's yeah. Like, and I don't let many people see it. I just like would sob in the shower every <laughs> now and then. I was in fitting rooms before the COVID. Yeah. <sighs> Oh, my wife has, ex Jax has experienced some of it with me where every now and then it'll just hit me and I'll just be sad. But, you know, you just deal with it. You just feel it. It's, I think in a way it's like a little, your body's kind of honoring that memory and that person and the, uh, the relationship and the influence they had on you. So I don't see it as a negative thing. I think it's a, a part of it. What do you think was one of the most important things grief has taught you? <sighs> well, I never want to have kids because I can't handle losing things. <laughs> oh, my sister loses her kids all the time. She has two, but most days we just have one. We're like, well, we hope the other one shows up by dinner. Well, I clearly have abandonment issues. It took me a very long time <laughs> to even get dogs because I was I, I was like, well, they're just going to die. What a, <laughs> why would I want to love something like that? So I've at least gotten past that. I have two dogs now that I love dearly, but I'll look at Biggie and just be like, please never leave. <laughs> uh, it definitely, I mean, it makes you appreciate, you know, the people in your life. I'm still guilty of taking things for granted. I have not 
none of us have truly mastered the art of like appreciating the people in our life the way w- that we should. Um, but I mean, it taught me that y- you can overcome. I mean, I, the pain I felt with that is like nothing I've felt with anything else in my life. And I thought, well, I'm here. I made it. If I can overcome that, then I can overcome whatever. I mean, but let's not get crazy life. Let's, let's not, <laughs> let's not challenge. Let's not give us some cha- any more challenges. <laughs> I'm not inviting that into my life. Um, but it does, yeah, you learn that you can get through it. Well, speaking, you'll get through it. It's hard. It sucks. You've lost two, your both parents in a relatively short amount of time. I'm literally an orphan. Yeah. It sucks, man. It sucks the worst. But, you know, like you said, I, it's a motivator for me. It's, I don't, I'm not crippled by the victimhood that I could feel or Mm -hmm. some days that I realize is a natural reaction. I, I'm motivated. And so, you know, well, I'm glad you're allowing yourself to be sad because you should to like sweep it under the rug is not helpful. No, and know? like when you do that, you want drugs and dick. And right now there's a quarantine and those aren't readily available. I have some <laughs> drugs, but I've had no dick. So like more drugs than normal. You don't want that COVID dick right now. No. Just deal with your grief. It'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really appreciate you being open and honest and all the stuff you've experienced and if you could say this is something that I think is personal to each person but Mm -hmm. is there anything you do like for me before I go to bed maybe because I'm in it Mm -hmm. I say I love you to my mom and dad oh that's sweet every night yeah is there anything you still do is there any little ritual you have left with your grandmother uh Anytime it's not a daily ritual, uh, but anytime something really cool has happened, like a bigger thing, like an accom- like something I really wanted or some sort of acknowledgement in the business that I hadn't ha- had before, I always go, Thank you. <laughs> I always go, Nana, I appreciate that. I, <laughs> I just give her a little shout out. Uh, I always make sure to in- verbally include her and acknowledge her when I, when any of these things happen. Cause I know she's watching out for me. Yeah. She may not be here physically, but she's still here spiritually and in some sort of energy form. So that I always talk about the relationship isn't gone. It just mm-hmm. evolves. Yeah. I get Nana shout outs. <laughs> Nana shout outs. We're all Orphan yeah. <laughs> I even said to Jax, if we have something cool happen, as a, I'll be like, Nana, Nana's looking out for us. Shout <laughs> out, Nana. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Where can everybody find you? I know you're working on something right now, which obviously will take some time to come out, but where can everybody listen to you, find you, and see you? Well, I'm on the old Instagram uh-uh, at, at Fortune Feimster, F-E-I-M-S-T-E-R. Well, it ain't true. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm on there. I'm, I try to make people laugh with silly videos and on Facebook. And uh, I'm doing that Netflix after party with David Spade. It's on Netflix, so it's, it's really funny. It's a fun time. Yeah, with we're, we're fun in our way, you know. It's, it's us. Something. It's us 
interviewing cat the cast of of popular Netflix shows. So it's fun to kind of be on the like you know part of the Netflix family talking about these shows that everyone's obsessed with because we're all in quarantine. Yes, uh, or a version of quarantine. Um, but uh, yeah, so I'm out there. And uh, one of these days, Jesse May, all of us stand-ups will be back on tour, but not yet. Back on our depressing tour. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the nice thing is that we can stay in a little bit nicer hotel. Oh, I mean, girl. So, I, so at least I have air conditioning so now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I fucking love you, Fortune. Same, buddy. I appreciate you uh, having me on. And uh, I'm sending you big hugs. I know you're going through it, and uh, you will get through it. Send me big hugs and also big drugs. Drugs, hugs, and D. Shit. (laughs) Drugs, hugs, and dick. Sounds like a fucking great weekend. I don't know any. I can't really send you any any dick. That's a funny word. An Indian giver. No, I need it. Send it. (laughs) Send it. Wait for your vaccine. Rude. <laughs> then get it. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> At least the first shot. <laughs> yes, and I can get the second one. That's the one that counts. There you go. <laughs> Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.